Good morning, everybody. Hey, listen, can we give a big shout out to those joining us from Jeffco Jail? We love you. So thankful for you. Thank you for being a part of our family. And can we just welcome those, everyone else that's online? We say we love you. We're grateful for you. Come on. Come on. Let's give it to them. Well, guys, listen, good morning. So grateful for you. Before I get into today's message, um, I meant to do this last week. And, you know, we have such an amazing team here at Faith. And that we've had this team of leaders and volunteers that have been putting plans together and changing plans and moving plans and setting things up and doing research so that we can expand what God's called us to do as a church. And so all of that expansion is what's helped us online. It's also helped us live and how we've done all of this. And we just have an amazing team of leaders and staff and volunteers here. And can we just say thank you to them just with our applause today. Thank you. So grateful for you. You guys are the best. It's an honor serving with you. Guys, listen, we are continuing our um, series on Anchored. And you know, we are living in very just crazy times. You just need to call it crazy. If something's crazy, just call it crazy. It's crazy right now. And everything is all over the place, and, and there are a lot of people who are hurting, a lot of people who are struggling, a lot of people who are confused. And as believers, we need to know this, that we have an anchor for our life. So regardless of the storm, regardless of, of the valleys, regardless of what in the world is going on, God can hold us secure with his promises. And this series is about anchoring ourselves to God's promises through difficult times. And so this, today's message, I titled it Anchored Hope Through Life's Valleys. You know, in every one of our lives, we're going to have valleys. And the whole, the whole purpose and the whole premise of this message came from Hebrews chapter 6, this idea that we have this hope, not just an idea, this truth, that we have this hope as an anchor, this hope of Jesus Christ, this hope of the goodness and promise of God to your life, for your life. Anchored for the soul, firm and secure. Here's the reality. Our souls are, are weary. We're tired. We're, we're going through a lot of stuff right now. But you need to hold fast and know this, that you have an anchor in Jesus Christ. Just like the early church, right after the resurrection of Jesus, there, several years after that, there was a huge persecution. They were running for their lives. They were struggling. They were meeting in certain areas. They were hiding in catacombs. They, they've just witnessed their friends being, being killed and persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And the symbol for Christianity was not a cross. It was not the original symbol. The Catholic Church brought that along the way, and that's probably why we have it today. But the reality is the symbol for Christianity from the very beginning of the church was an anchor. And that anchor they found carved into walls and they found that, that symbol on different things in people's tombstones because as Christians they knew regardless of how things get, regardless of the storms, regardless of the pains, regardless of the valleys, I have an anchor in Jesus Christ and I have an anchor in the promises of God and that's how they live their lives. And so I want you to have that anchor too. I want you to experience that for yourself in these days. And so... Today I want to talk to you about valleys. There's actually a lot of very significant valleys that are stated all throughout scriptures. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we are all in a valley together. Though I walk through the valley of everybody together, you know, that's just how we are. That's, that's what's going on right now. We are in a valley. And we're going to navigate it and God's going to meet us there. But also, you might be in some individual unique valleys. 
I think, you know, for, for us in, the, in this room and for those of you online, the reality is this. We all have unique valleys that we're walking through. But God wants to meet you. He wants to anchor you today. And here's the truth, too. It's also possible that you can, you can be in multiple valleys at the same time. And God still wants to strengthen you. He still wants to meet you. He still wants to, to speak to you. And he wants to give his promises so that when you're in the valley, God can meet you. The Bible is actually filled with very significant valleys. And I'm going to be teaching from that today. And I want to look at some of them. And there are these valleys throughout Scripture that as you look at them, there is some practical application. And one of the things I, I, what I'm excited about today's message is, is when you look at the Old Testament and you look at a lot of the different things that many of us would probably miss, you see the reality that the Word of God speaks to us every area of our life, meets us in every area of our life. It's still relevant today and it's still life-giving today. Amen. And so we're going to learn from this today. My heart for you today is, regardless of what valley you're in, that God strengthens you and he speaks to you and he gives you hope and he gives you a sense that he is with you. But I want you to anchor yourself today. As you face valleys, as you walk through valleys, I want you to find hope today in the midst of that valley or prepare you. To anchor yourself to hope as you walk through a valley. So let me just get straight into this. I want to look at from scriptures the valleys of life. So these are real valleys, real places, but there is spiritual meaning for them in your life. So the first valley that I want to look at today is Eshcol, which is the valley of fear. This is the valley that many people are in right now. They are walking through a valley of fear. I think there is, there is an absolute epidemic of fear that is happening in our world today. And people are scared. People are unsettled. People are, there's, there's an anxiousness about them, about what the future is, what the present is, what's going to happen. How's everything going to, to play out in our lives? And God wants to give you an anchor today in that fear. And this is a real valley. Escal is in Numbers 13. It's a story and, and maybe many of us have heard this before. If you haven't, it's a fascinating story. Let me encourage you to read it. It's a story when Moses, as they come out of Egypt, as they're set free, the children of Israel out of Egypt, they decide to go to the promised land. So when they get to the promised land, Moses sends out 12 spies or 12 scouts. And so this is that story. So the children of Israel, they've been enslaved for 400 years. Through a series of miracles, which are amazing, God sets them free. And they walk out of Egypt. And they walk out free. And they're heading to, now listen to me, they're heading to a promised land. So there was a land that was promised to them. So there, there was a promise they were anchoring their life to. And so they were heading that direction. And it was a promised land for them to, to be in, to dwell in, and to prosper in. To prosper in. And they came... To the, to the edge of the promised land. They were getting ready to go in. They realized there's some enemies in this land and the promise that God had for them. And they realized they might have to fight for this land. So Moses wants to know what's going on. So he sends 12 spies into the land to figure it out. Now the 12 spies go in there and they look around and they're like, holy cow, this place is amazing. This place is awesome. So they're, they're looking around. So this is one of the reports, part of the report that came back of the promised land. Let's look at this passage out of Numbers. It says this, when they came to the valley of Eshcol, that's what we're talking about today, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took 
two of them to carry on a pole. Either, so the only explanation, either they were really little people or these were really big grapes. They were big grapes. And so they brought back samples of pomegranates and figs. So this was like, this, this was the, the land of opportunity. It's right there. They just went in, they just saw it, they just experienced it. Wow, this is amazing. But they also came back with another, with another report. And so I want to share with you the report of the valley of Eshcol. It's a valley of fear. And this is kind of the, this is what happened in their lives. That our numbers said, so when they went into the land which you sent us, they're talking to Moses. You're right, Moses. It does flow with milk and honey. I mean, it's cool. It's, it's amazing. I mean, look at this grape. Look, it's pretty cool. But the people who live there are powerful, Moses, and the cities are fortified, and they're really big. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, and we seem like grasshoppers in our eyes, and when they looked at us, we also seemed like grasshoppers to them. But remember this. This was their promise. God had this promise for them of this promised land. He had already told them, it's yours. He already told them, just go possess it. Go get it. Get after it. And so here you had 12 spies. Ten of them were paralyzed with fear. They said, oh, hang on, hang on a minute. This ain't going to happen. I know we were slaves in Egypt and I, it was bad. But if we try to go in this land, um, we're going to die. So at least we know we were living in Egypt. But if we go in this land, we are going to die. So they even were so fearful that they said, let's just go back to Egypt. Let's just go back and, and, and just live as slaves again. Only two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, what are you talking about? Let's get it on. This is ours. We're going after it. God promised it to us. This is, this is why I feel right now in the season, it's so important. You are familiar with God's promise for your life. If you are submitted to Jesus Christ, if you are submitted to his word and, and are on a journey to that, doesn't mean you're perfect. Yes, we're all broken. We're, we're all on a journey. But if you're submitted to him, you have promises throughout Scripture. You need to know what they are so you can, you can engage with God in this promise. Joshua and Caleb knew. No, no, hang on. God said it's ours. What are you talking about, boys? Let's go get this. But this was the moment that they faced fear. It was the valley of fear. It was the valley of fear. Not only did the fear just hit the ten. Scripture says the fear moved throughout all the people. The valley of fear, the valley of Eshcol, this is the place. Hear me today. You have to make a decision. Are you going to take what's rightfully yours? Are you going to engage your faith into what God's promised you? That God's given to you? Or are you going to back off in fear and shame and in doubt? In the valley of fear, you have two options. You either move forward, shaking, trembling, trusting God, or you give up. Or you think, I'm out of here, I'm done, I can't do this. These are valleys that every one of us face. This is the reality that God has amazing things for you. That God has things that he wants to use you in. He, he has, he's placed dreams in you. He's, he's promised you some things. And some of the things he's promised you is unique than maybe than, than other people. But what is your valley of fear? What's your valley of, of Eshcol? 
What's the place you're afraid to move forward into that's loaded with God's blessing? What is that place? Could it be start a business? Could it be maybe become a pastor? Could it be become a missionary? Could it be lead a small group? Could it be serve? Could it be be a voice? Could it be step out and, and share the gospel with people? I don't know what that is for you. But all of us have a valley of Eshcol where there is a huge blessing on the other side of your obedience. And here's the truth. Maybe you've known for a long time what God's promise is. Maybe you know that you should be moving forward in that area. And God told you to do it. And God wants you to do it. And it's the right thing. And here's the truth. You just haven't done it. I'll be honest with you. There are areas. There are valleys of escalls in every one of our lives. There are things that God has spoken to us about that we, uh, we're still freaking out. I don't know, God. So maybe today you're in that valley where you either pursue God's promises or you give up. And here, here's the reality. In our world of fear, as believers... It's in the valley of of Eshcol that you have to defy fear by believing and trusting in God's promise, not your feelings or emotions. You've got got to lean into it. You can't allow the world to tell you how you should feel. You can't allow the world to dictate the emotions you should be feeling. If we are called of God, we are children of the promise. We are filled with the Spirit of God. Listen, the world nor my flesh tells me what to do. The Spirit of God and His Word tells me what to do. Tells me how to feel. Tells me how to function. God at this valley of Eshcol wants you to defy fear and trust God. And these valleys actually of Eshcol, they're they're seen two different ways. They're seen either as obstacles, ain't no way, or they're seen as opportunities. Let's go get it. There's really not a middle ground there. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, opportunity. It's the promised land. Let's go for it. No brainer. God's on our side. What do we have to worry about? Ten of them, obstacle. They gave in to fear. They said, well, what if? What if we die? What if we do this? What if we, what if we, what? So as they gave in to fear, instead of a journey that should have taken them three to four weeks from Egypt, to their promised land, they spent 40 years wandering in the deserts, never. And those 10 that were full of fear, they never saw the promised land again. So they spent 40 years wandering in the desert, actually, and dying in the desert because they were afraid to take a step and access what God has promised them. They were afraid to to put their neck on the line for what God said he would do for them. God wants you to live a life of faith. Listen, we didn't, we didn't come this far just to, uh, that's okay, I'm not going to go there. No, it's going to take that moment at the Valley of Eshcol to say, I'm going to do it. I'm scared, but I'm going to do it. Pastor Nathan says this. He says, you know what? We weren't created to play small. You weren't created to play small. You weren't created, but you were, you were created to lean into God, to believe when people are doubting, to have faith when people are f- 
full of fear. You were created to, to, to lean in and get everything that God has for you. And that's what I want for you today. But this is what you have to do at the Valley of Eshcol. Either get your promise or go home. A second valley in Scripture that is really relevant to our lives is the, is the valley of failure, which is Siddim, the valley of a place of failure. It's a very interesting story. If you like big war movies, you'll you like the story out of the valley of Siddim is in Genesis 14. It's an epic battle between nine armies coming against some other armies, or actually each other. Four armies are trying to take over five armies. So the five armies are fighting for their life from freedom from the other four armies and four kingdoms who are bigger than them. For 12 years, the five kingdoms have been oppressed by the other kingdoms, and they said, enough is enough. We're not going to do that anymore. And so the Valley of Siddim is where this battle happened, which is now where the Dead Sea is. So these, these five armies said, we, we're not going to be under your oppression anymore. So the Bible says the nine armies fought in the Valley of Siddim. So the reason why I'm setting all this up for you is there's a, pat, there's a part in here I want you to see. And verse 10, this is, this is what it says. It says, now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. So this is, that's not a good place you want to be. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, so there's your first issue. Kings should not be fleeing. So they were fleeing from something. It's, it's never a, a positive thing for someone to flee, flee when you're a leader. Some of the men that were fleeing fell into and to the tar pits, and the rest fled to the hills. Four kings then seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. They also carried Abraham's nephew Lot in possession since he was in Sodom. But the point I want to make there is that these kings were fleeing instead of leading, and they had a failure. They were running, and they slipped, and they fell into tar pits. And so how did they end up in this kind of valley of trouble? Well, they ran away from something they should stand up. They slipped, they fell, and then they got stuck. My point is this about tar pits and valleys. These are areas. The valley of Siddim is the area you're stuck in. What areas are you stuck in? These are areas that you failed, and maybe you were failed because you were running away from pain, you were running away from conflict, you were running away from responsibility, running away from a marriage, stress, and you got stuck in how you were coping with those stresses and pains and conflicts. Siddim is a place in your life that you'd like to forget. Siddim is a place in your life that you hope no one ever finds out about it. No one ever finds out about this failure in your life. This could be a failure even that some people know about even today. But the kings were caught. They were stuck. They were secretly running from a battle. Everyone saw them. This is a failure. Maybe your deepest fear today is that people would find out about your failure. So what is your nasty, slimy tar pit in the valley of Siddim? Some people might be alcohol. And you realize as you waller in addiction of alcohol, you realize this is a failure. 
And you might feel trapped today. Maybe your valley of Siddim is opioids. You never wanted to come to the place or be at the place you are now, but you are. It's a failure. It could be porn. Maybe it's your valley of failure is you started flirting online with somebody that was not your spouse. And it's increased. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's rage. Maybe it's food. I don't know what it is. But this is what I do know. Valley of Siddhams exist and they're real. And if you ignore them, you'll never be able to, to be healed from them. If you don't come to grips with them, God will never be able to restore you. So regardless of what your valley of failure is today, listen to me. Now listen to me. It doesn't matter where you've gotten stuck along the way or how you've gotten stuck or what pit you're in. Listen to me. Jesus can get you out and he can get you out of the pit. Just so you know that. Please know that. Whether, if you've, If you fall in a pit later or you're in one now, Jesus can get you out. He hasn't written you off. That's why David wrote out of, in Psalm 40, he said this, God brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on a rock and established my steps. God can reestablish you. He can reestablish you. You need to know that today. Another valley that we can face, that a real place, but... It has some real application to us is number three, uh, the Valley of Ella, which is a valley of conflict. This is one of the probably more famous valleys in Scripture. It's a valley that even though this, if it's a valley of conflict, and that's what I'm calling it today, this is a valley you're probably going to walk through several times in your life. And so this Valley of Ella is in 1 Samuel 17. It's a well-known valley because it's where a little boy named David met the big giant. And he sunk a rock into his forehead and killed him. Which sounds gruesome even when you say it, but it's in the Bible. So I'm just saying, that's just how it is. But 1 Samuel 17, this is what, what has happened. The Philistines are coming to get the, against the, the children of Israel. Saul is their king. And so they have set up camp. Philistines have set up camp. And then Saul comes and countered them by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out to the Philistine ranks, faced the forces of Israel, and listen to this, he was over nine feet tall. He was a, he, he was a big dude. He was a big dude. I mean, he's a big dude. He was loud. He was intimidating. He was powerful. I think he was ugly, and I think he stunk too. That's just my opinion. I think he did. <laughs> But li- listen to, ha- to, to what this conflict did to the hearts of the children of Israel. First Samuel 17 goes on, verse 11, says this. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and freaked out. They were shaken. Everybody in the army is scared to death. Everybody, is, this, this, this warrior, Goliath, is, is, he's calling out conflict. He's, he's calling them names. He's calling their God names. And the giant comes down every day and he taunts and he shouts. He says this, hey, send out your best guy. Him and I will go, we'll go one-on-one. Whoever wins, then they can take the others captive as their slaves. Come on, let's, let's get this thing done. Bring it on. 
over and over and over. Every day as he would come out and declare, I want to fight. He's trying to pick a fight. The hearts of the Israelites were seized and melted with fear of conflict. Except for this one little boy, a shepherd. David, he was a follower of God. He had been trusting God. He wasn't a part of the Israel army. And he had seen God do things with him as he trusted him. In the, he had seen him help overcome conflict out in the field with animals that were trying to attack his sheep. So here's David. He was just taking some food to his, to his brothers. He was grub-hubbing some food to them, and they were super happy about that. And he rolls up, and this is how, after he sees it, after he, he, he hears it, this is what David says. He says, don't worry about that Philistine. David told this to the king. I'll go fight him. Come on, let me at him. But that's how he responded. But I want to get back for a second. Today, you may have a Goliath you're facing. It could be a giant conflict. It could be somebody in your face, someone taunting you at work. Maybe there's, you have an opponent. There's a challenge. You're in a valley of conflict. Let me ask you this. I don't know what it is. What is your valley of valid today? What is that valley right now? Because you're going to walk through these. Some of you in that valley where people are fighting each other and fighting you. And so here's what the scripture goes on to say. First, first Samuel 17 says this. The Philistine occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley of Ella between them. You're going to have to walk through this valley. So here you are. You have one person on one side, one person on the other, and there's a valley in the middle. Maybe for some of you this describes your marriage today. You're standing your ground over here and your spouse is standing their ground over there. And you say things and you react and you say another thing. And when you're hurt, then you say something to hurt somebody else. And there is this valley of conflict between you that you're going to have to walk through. Some of you describes your relationship between your children. You've, you've been on both sides. And you yell and they yell and you yell. and you, There is a valley of conflict in the middle. I've got to walk through. God wants to help you walk through that. God wants to speak to you today. God wants to heal you. God wants to restore your relationships. God wants you to know that he's with you. And he's going to help you get through these valleys of conflict. Another valley that we face in our lives is the valley of Baca, which is the valley of barrenness. There's actually one place in Scripture where this is mentioned in Psalm 84. But just so you're aware in the context of this, before the resurrection of Jesus, people would go up to Jerusalem and worship. Now, why, why does the resurrection of Jesus change anything? Well, God had set up worship in the temple. So that's where people meant went to be in the presence of God. That's where people went to worship God. Now, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus said this, listen, that my spirit doesn't dwell in buildings that are made by man anymore. You are, you are the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. You are, just so you're aware. But before the resurrection of Jesus, they had to go up and meet priests. Now, 
Side note, Jesus, after the resurrection and our faith in Christ Jesus, he says this, you are a priest. So Jesus changed everything after his resurrection. But before that, in order to go up and worship, you'd you'd have to make your way. Pilgrims would make their way to the temple to worship God, to meet with God, to give offerings to God. And so Psalm 84 says this, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. They're making their way to meet and connect with God as they pass through the valley of Baca. The word Baca just simply means to weep. But listen, this is where it's dry, it's dusty, it's a wasteland. And if you want to go to Jerusalem, you're going to have to pass through this. You're going to have to walk through this valley of Baca to get there, this valley of barrenness to get there. And yes, this, it was about weeping, but also it was this valley about dryness, barren, dusty places. That's what I'm going to talk to you about real, real, real quick here. This is when you're going through a dry time in your life. That might be you today. Maybe you're in a valley of dry time. Maybe everything that's going on in the world and in your personal life, you just feel dead and dry and numb. Your joy's dried up. Your energy's dried up. You're tired. You're weary. If this is the valley, you don't feel close to God, you don't feel close to your husband, you don't feel close to your wife, you don't feel close to your kids, you don't feel close to, to anybody. I'm done. I'm like the walking dead. No joy. I'm done. And the temptation, hear me today, in this valley, the temptation that all of us have in this valley is we start doubting God's promise. We, we start, as these pilgrims, they, they, they would stop thinking about what was in front of them. They stopped thinking about the promise of God's presence. For us, New Testament believers, in these moments of depression and pain and anxiousness and barrenness and numbness, we start thinking, you know, maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God doesn't see me. I don't feel a thing. Listen, no matter how tired you are, how weary you are, how numb you are, God is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's there for you. You may not feel him, but he's there with you today. Listen, never doubt in the valley what God spoke to you on the mountaintop. Never doubt in the dark the promises that God gave you in the light. This is, these are the valleys. This valley of Baca is the place where you begin to consider incredibly dark things. This is where the enemy can come in. He begins to tell you maybe your life isn't worth living anymore. And I'll just tell you today, that any voice that meets you in that darkness and tells you that somehow your life is not worth living is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not from God. Because Jesus said, I've come that you would have life and have it to, to the abundance. You need to know that. If, you, if you're hearing that today in this room or online, listen to me. God has a life for you. Any other voice is of the devil and rejected in Jesus' name. God has life for you. Listen to what... God tells his children. So if you're in this valley, let this encourage you today. God's children, the children of Israel in, in Isaiah, they've been enslaved, they've been pillaged, they, felt, they, they are feeling barren, and God tells them to do something in their barrenness, okay? So you mean there's something I can do in my barrenness? Yes, there is. 
That's why it's important you anchor yourself to God's promises. You need to know what God's promises for your life. So as they felt barren, alone, numb, listen to what God tells them. It's, 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 it's incredible. That's what he says. Sing, barren woman. And he's, he's referring to the children of Israel as his, as his bride, as his wife. He says, sing, barren woman. Now remember... They had a promise of Abraham over the whole, the whole Israelite family. They had the promise that your children will be as many as the, as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. Well, they're not seeing this. You ever been in a place where you thought God was going to do something and you're not seeing it? You're not feeling it. You're like, what in the world, God? And they're feeling this. And he says, you sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child. You've never seen my promises come through yet. You need to burst in the song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor, because more are the children. Now listen to this. More are the children of, of the desolate woman than, than of her who has a husband. In other words, they're, they're like, I, I, I don't see the promise. I don't see what's happening. I don't see God's blessing on our lives. I, I, I don't see any of this. So God tells them to sing into their barrenness. And then he tells them, Right here, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, and do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. He's telling them, get ready. My promise is coming. Get ready. I know you're hurting. Now listen, listen, friends. I know some of you are hurting. I know some of you are facing barrenness. I know that you're struggling. But I'll, let me encourage you. Anchor your life to God's promise. Not your feelings, not your emotions, not what's going on in the world. Anchor your life to God's promise. Anchor yourself to, those, to the faithfulness of God. And you can sing in your barren places because God's promises haven't gone anywhere. You can sing. Prepare your heart to receive what, with what God has for you today. So if you've identified your valley today, I want to also give you three very quick things that God's speaking over you in your valley. So important that you hear this today. So we've identified the valleys that happen in life. Thanks a lot, Jason. I want to give you some hope today. What is God speaking over you today? In your valley, maybe it's fear, conflict, barrenness, failure. I don't know what it is, but this is what I do know. God is saying this to you in your valley. It's the first thing he's saying to you. I am with you. You are not alone. You're not alone. That's why David says in Psalm 23, though he walks through, he was walking through a valley of the shadow of death. He said, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Valleys, valleys are difficult. They're painful. You feel alone. You feel empty. You feel like God doesn't see you. That is a lie because the promise is this. God says over your life, I am with you. I am for you. I'll never leave you, never forsake you, never turn my back on you. I don't care how far you run, how high you go, how low you go. I'll never leave you. I am with you because I'm your father and I'm a good father. I don't ever go back on being a good father. I don't ever skip out on my responsibilities over your life. I don't ever forget about the commitment I made to see you walk out the call that I have on your life. I'm going to be there for you. When you can't breathe, I'll breathe for you. When you can't think, I'll think for you. When you can't walk, I'll walk for you. Because I am your father. I am with you. You are not alone.
So if you're hurting today, if you're scared today, if you're believing this lie because you are hurting, because you are scared, because you, because you feel inadequate, somehow you're, you must not be a good, strong Christian. You need to hear something from the Lord today. One, you're not going through it on your own. But you have a promise. The side of Psalm 34 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close. Second promise God speaks over to you in your valleys is this. I'm going to use this valley for your good. Man, it doesn't feel like it in the midst of these valleys. In the valley of fear, conflict, failure, barrenness, you start to feel, God, I, I don't even think you can do anything in this situation. Children of Israel felt the same thing on their journey. They had failed. They had sinned. They were in fear. They were barren. It looked like their situation was hopeless. Their valley, they thought their valley was final and fatal. And they thought God has nothing good left for them. Matter of fact, the whole book of Jeremiah is about Jeremiah warning them that if, if they don't obey God, it, it's, they're going to be led away into slavery. He just, he, for 50 years, Jeremiah told them, listen, listen, please, you need to repent. Please come back to God. Please come back to God. For 50 years. Jeremiah didn't have one convert, and they kept ignoring what he said. So as Jeremiah sits on the, on the stairs of, of, of the city, and he watches them being taken into slavery, drug out of their homes, and they're starting to think, wait a minute, God doesn't have any plans for us anymore. God, God doesn't have any good for us anymore. We've blown it. We've gone too far. And they begin to think, we know God's plans for us, and those plans are not good anymore. Then Jeremiah writes this, and this is God speaking through Jeremiah. God knew they, they were thinking, I know God's plans. He's abandoned us. He said, what are you talking about? You don't know God's plans. I know the plans I have for you. What are you talking about? I'm the one that called you. I'm the one that, that, that has called you my own. He says, I know the plans, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. They didn't feel like they were going to prosper. Plans... Not to harm you, because they felt, man, we're going to get harmed. Plans to give you hope and a future. God's going to use this for your good, whether you feel like he will or not. God uses valleys of fear, conflict, failure, barrenness to bring clarity to our lives, to change the way we think, to change for we, us to cherish relationships. He uses, actually, valleys to get bad habits out of our life, sin out of our lives. God uses valleys to reveal his incredible promises to us. And I want you to remember, regardless if you're in a very difficult, troublesome valley today, God is the God that promises this out of Hosea 2. I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope for you. Why? How can that happen? Because he's God. Because he does what he wants and he makes sure that he uses your valleys as you submit to him, as you come to him, as you repent before him. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit will lead you to do, he can take a terrible situation of trouble and bring it as a gateway of hope. Another thing God says over you today is this. I can't wait to reward you for your faith. This is as you begin and continue. To believe God in the midst of your valley. God, I don't see how you're going to use it for good, but I trust that you will. 
God, you've revealed these areas of failures in my life, and I, I'm coming, I'm repenting before you, and I receive your forgiveness, and I ask you to cleanse me and purify me. Lord, in this valley of fear, Lord, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to have faith in this valley of hopelessness. I'm going to put my trust in you, even though I don't see how you're going to work all of this out. God, I'm going to find promises and anchor my life to them. And as you believe in God's promise, as you allow him to heal you, restore you, breathe new life into your bones and your soul, start a revival inside your chest. As you allow him to forgive you, and as you put your faith in Jesus Christ in the midst of your valley, God says, I'm going to reward you for that. That's why Paul says this out of 1 Corinthians 2. He says this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, those who trust him. So listen, until we get to heaven, we're going to face valleys. Believers, you're going to have disappointments. You're going to have failures, fears, conflicts, financial problems, family issues, sin. Mental illness, physical illness. We're going to go through valleys, but you must remember your, va- your valleys as a believer. You are experiencing them differently than people who don't know God. As we, as we know in the most famous Psalm, out of Psalm 23, he says this, The Lord is my shepherd. In the midst of your valley, you're not alone. You've got a shepherd who takes care of you, who provides for you, who prepares a table for you in the presence of angry people, enemies. He comforts you. He protects you. Because he's your shepherd. And he's a good shepherd. God wants to protect you and keep you and minister to you in the midst of your valleys. He has promises for you that my hope today is you would anchor your life to those. That this would be life-giving. As we, we don't just, we don't, we don't pretend like valleys aren't real. Nope, they're not real. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. You can do that, but you're still in the valley. God wants you to find hope and anchor your life to His promises so that no matter what you face, No matter what pain you walk through, you can hear the voice of your Father. In your desperate moment, I'm with you. You are not alone. I'm going to use this for your good. And if you'll trust me, I'm going to bless you and reward you for your faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I'm overwhelmed myself, she says. I hear the reality of you being the good shepherd. Lord, I know there are people in this room and watching online who are walking through very, very difficult valleys. Lord, today, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would allow them to keep walking, allow them to keep moving. Lord, if they're facing a valley of fear and you have an incredible blessing on the other side of their obedience, Lord, today I pray that you would give them the grace to step forward and access your promise for them, just like the children of Israel. 
Lord, I pray that you would minister to them, that they would know, I'm going to go and get my promise because God's with me. Lord, maybe there are those who are walking through valleys of conflict in their marriage, in their relationships. Lord, today, remind them, I'm with you. God, use this valley to reveal to them areas of their life that need to be surrendered to you. Restore marriages in the name of Jesus today. Lord, for those who have walked through valleys of failure and they're still stuck in a tar pit, God, I pray today that you would remind them you're the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. And that you want to set their feet on a rock and give them strength and lift them out. So Lord, for those, I pray that they would lift their eyes to you and say, Lord, save me. I give my life to you. Lord, for those who are in a valley of barrenness, they have, they feel numb. Lord, today I pray that you would breathe new life onto them. That the tears of their barren places would bring forth a harvest and blossoms of new streams and new life because you are a good God and you restore things to us that has been hurt and broken. And so, Lord, today we receive your truth that in all valleys you're working it for my good. You're with me. And, Lord, you will be faithful to the promises that you've given us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. We all say amen and amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If <clears throat> I want to be faithful to what God has asked um, us to do here. I'm just going to ask you all, if we could just bow our heads just for a moment. If you're here today or you're joining us online and you recognize that you are not saved and you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want to know him, you want to feel his love, you want to receive his forgiveness he has for you. If you're here today, nobody's looking around, and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now and lift it up to give your life to Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Just raise your hand so I can see it. Nobody's looking. This is your moment. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. If you're watching online, if that's you, just raise your hand right now just as a sign of faith. Just lift it up. Just to acknowledge, yes, I want. I want to be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to pray it. The Bible says if you believe it and say it, that you will be saved. And you will be a child of God on the other side of you, engaging your faith with God's promise to save you. Let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you lived for me. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you are God's son. I put my trust in you today. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Give me a new start. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And with your help, I will continue to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen, let's come on, let's give God a hand. Amen, that's awesome.